Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted. Everybody say planted. Everybody say rooted. Planted means rooted, right? They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the waters. Such trees, everybody say, this is me. Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay fresh and green and they never stop producing fruit. This is God's destiny for your life, that you would be well-rooted, you would stay fresh and green all the time, that you would always be exhilarated, that you would always be producing. This is God's plan for you. Even in the drought, even in winter, you produce. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through winter. It means when winter comes, you're still green. You're evergreen, right? Ephesians chapter 3. One of my favorite prayers to pray. Some people are like, man, I don't know how to pray. Well, read the Bible. The Bible is full of great prayers that you can pray. And Ephesians chapter 3 is one of my favorite. And this is what the Apostle Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches. Woo. I mean, you might have some glorious riches. If, if, if so, then come on, share the love. But listen, God's glorious riches are infinitely greater than any of man's. You know, he, he, makes, he makes Bill Gates look like a poor man. Come on. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. This is so good. I, I just preach on every word and we'd be done. Strengthen you with power through his spirit. So how do you have power? Through his spirit in your inner being. So in other words, through his spirit to your spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray. How many know that when you pray something, it means it's important? So Paul is praying this. He's saying, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That he wants you to be rooted and established in love. For what? that you may have power together with all the saints, talking about community, to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, and how high is the love of Christ. I'm talking about endless oceans. Come on, I'm talking about star that is 10 billion light... Years way in that direction to the one that's 10. We're talking about infinite width and breadth. We're talking about shoreless oceans. We're talking about bottomless oceans. We're talking about endless love. And he's praying this, that we would be able to grasp that. Is that grasp? Can you grasp Graspable? Can you attend? Can you hold on to that? And he says that, I, that, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. What is he saying? He's saying that this love is, is so bigger than you can comprehend. That you may be filled 
with the measure. He's praying, but it preaches real well. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, I got a lot of fullness. I'm six foot two, you know, about between 200 and 205 pounds most of the time. I'm a pretty big guy. I, can, I have a lot of fullness. I mean, I can eat some enchiladas. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I can eat a lot of chips and salsa. I have a fullness. I mean, I, it takes a lot to get me full. You, how many you know what I'm saying? But my fullness is so small compared to his fullness. It's like, listen, it's like taking the ocean and putting it in a shot glass. But Paul prays that we would experience God like that. That we would experience the fullness of God. How big is the fullness of God? Yes. Right? That's the answer. I don't know. It's, it's fuller than anything you can imagine. So what happens when you your little coffee cup size is filled with the oceans? It overflows. It overtakes. It's saturated. It's messed up. You can't. Most of us, however, are satisfied with a little drop. God wants more for you than that. Do, do a study about, you know, the stars and, and see how far it is from this point to this point, how many billions of light years they are away, and just think that that's God's arms are bigger than that. I mean, vast, eternal. The universe is ever expanding, we're, we're taught, which tells us that it had a beginning at some point. Come on, that'll preach. God wants you to be filled with his fullness, his fullness, his full love, to grasp his love. He wants you to get it. He's not hiding from you. He wants you to get it. So don't be satisfied with your little, you know, drink that you got today. There's so much more. I've read the Bible. Apparently, you haven't allowed it to read you because something's not happening. So how do we get to this place of being rooted? And this is the prayer that we would be rooted and established in love. Well, there's two paradigms I want to talk about, and then I want to teach you a little bit. Are you good? The first way that we're rooted in love, the first paradigm that we have is that understanding that God is a lover. And we say God is love, you know, first John. But we, we say that kind of like our little American small mindset of what love is, right? Well, he's, he's just kind. Yes, he is kind. Way kinder than anything you can ever imagine. But he's also wild. And he's also just way more than you can ever imagine. And so love... It's way bigger than your minute definition. No matter how big your love is, it's very small compared to his. Listen, and it's, it's not this, you know, uh, fifth grade Valentine card love. Right? <laughs> Do you ever feel one of those? You know, remember when you used to give those to kids in school and you're like, well, I want to make sure she gets this one, make sure she doesn't get this one. Right. You guys remember that? Come on. We're just being real. We know. I know. I know. I did it too. But listen, God is a lover. He is a jealous, zealous, passionate, affectionate lover. There's, you know, we sing that song. There's, there's no mountain he won't climb up. 
Come on, there, there is nothing within him. He has, listen, in God's love, he has no restraint. He is completely wild in love with you. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. God takes delight in you. Oh, man, not me. You don't know my life. No, he likes you. He loves you, but he also likes you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He's like madly in love with you. He can't get his eyes off you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That word rejoice is not what most of us did in church today. This little, um, you know, yay, Jesus. No, it's like, it's a, vi- it's a word that, it, that is spinning around like a whirlwind violently. So when God looks at you, he is violently rejoicing. He's like, yes. I love you. 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 That's the biblical definition of rejoicing. Not thank you. Right? So God is, is this passionate, as passionate as you can imagine. Barely. Have you scratched the surface? Beloved, he is not cold or passive or stale in love for you. Song of Solomon says this about describing the love between lovers. He says this, place me as a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm for love is as strong as death. What does that mean? That means that it's inescapable. It's definite. How strong is death? Death is definitive. Love is as strong as death. It's as definitive as death. It's inescapable. God's love is inescapable. That's why when you really encounter the love of God, your life is never the same. You say, man, I'm trying to change. I'm trying to, you know what you need? You don't need a 12-step program. You need an encounter with the love of God. That's what you need. And if it doesn't transform you, then you haven't encountered the love of God. It's jealousy. Whoa, God's jealous? Yeah, he's not jealous of you because you don't have anything for to be jealous him to be jealous of. But he is jealous for you. So you got to understand that in God's love, he will tolerate no other lovers. God is relentless in his pursuit of you. This is why he hates sin. Because sin is taking our eyes off of him and looking at something else. And he's saying, I want you. Give me your attention. I want you. It's not driven out of a mean spirit of God. He's saying, I want you completely. And even though your all is small, that's what he wants. For jealousy unyielding is the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. His love is unquenchable. It's unyielding. It's undistracted. (laughs) We don't know much about that today in our culture. God's love is undistracted. When he spends time with you, he's not checking his notifications. He's not texting the guy in the other room or, or across the table. He's engaged. He's focused. He's undistracted in his love for you. He's unrelenting. He will not stop. He will not stop for the rest of your life, no matter where you're at in your walk with God. If you're far from God or you're close to God, he will never stop pursuing you. He will never stop until your heart is completely owned by him. Aren't you glad? 
It's so good. I'm so glad that Jesus is still pursuing me. Man, I've been chasing him back for like 20 years. We've been playing tag. And, and he, he touched my heart. And I was like, yeah, God, I'm going to chase you back. And he's like, yes, I'm chasing you. I'm chasing you. I'm chasing you. And I love it that he hasn't stopped. Because there's so much more of him that I want in my life. There's so much more of his love I want revealed because his love is so big. And I want to know more about it. Can I tell you today that you are the desire of Jesus? I say this a lot, but I won't say it again, and we'll be saying it forever. You're not just loved by God. You're wanted by God. He wants you. And some of you, I think really, that's the biggest need in our life, probably. We say that love is the biggest need or whatever, hope or whatever. I think just the desire to be wanted, man, I want to be wanted. God wants you. Well, he has me. He wants more of you. He wants more. Well, I'm giving him everything I have. No, you're not. We, we both know it's not true, right? I, for me, it's not true. I'm learning. I'm giving him more. I hope I'm giving him more today than I was last week. I hope. Beloved, we are the obsession of Jesus. We're his desire. We're his heart. We're the ones he came for. You are the obsession of Jesus. He's obsessed over you. Zechariah 8.2 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. He is burning. I want you. I want all of you. No other lovers. No other distractions. That doesn't mean that you don't have a spouse or that you don't have passions in your life, but that, but that all of it, all of it is coming full circle and saying, God, it's for you. How much? How much does God love me? Check this out. John chapter 17. We did a series a couple years ago called The Prayers of Jesus. And this scripture for some reason, for a long time, it was kind of hidden from me. And it says this, Jesus is praying the last prayer before suffering. And he, he says this prayer. He says, Lord, I pray that they would see that you love them as much as you love me. Yeah. How much does God love you? He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. In your weak, immature state, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, God's been loving Jesus for a long time. <laughs> Come on. From eternity. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Not because, not because you, you acted like Jesus this week. <laughs> and can I tell you today that he, he loves you personally. He doesn't just love the world and all the children of the world and he loves the church. Yeah, he does. But he loves you personally. He, can I tell you that he knows that thing that nobody else knows? That you're so bashful and ashamed of the insecurities that you have. He still loves you. And he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And can I tell you this, that he's confident in love with you? He doesn't love you so much. And then when you screw up, he'll go, man, I feel like I wasted my love. He doesn't love you and go, ah, man, I hope they live up to it. I don't think that God, you know, we, a lot of people, you know, like to bash the church. And they say they almost kind of act like 
Jesus regrets dying for the church. They almost kind of, there's almost kind of this, and scripture does speak of living a life worthy of the life that God called us to, but, but God's love for you is not moved, listen, by your behavior. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He loves you as much as Jesus. Perfect love. Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were sinners. Not when you got all cleaned up, not when you figured things out. I, man, I've had so many conversations with people. Man, you need to come to the Lord. I'm just working on some things. I'm just, you know. Wow, you were jacked up. You can't, listen, you can't get better by yourself anyway. If you could, then why did Jesus come? 1 John chapter 3, how great the Father has lavished on us. I love my kids. I love to lavish on my kids. We have, you know, our kids will sneak into our bed early in the morning. I know some people think that's me. I don't care what you think. Man, and I love all my kids, and I'm slobbering on them and tickling them, and they're giggling, and I'm laughing. What am I doing? I'm just lavishing love on them. Or I buy them things. Even when they don't, why? Because I love to show them I love them. That's what lavish means. I'm showing you that I love you. And so the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And he loves you not like a stepchild. Come on. And some of us feel, we kind of feel sometimes like God's got his A list and his B list. You ever felt like that? All right, man, I felt like that a lot of times in my life. Man, God's got like his levels of people that, that he likes, right? And, you know, I'm kind of maybe on the B team. And that's probably sitting the bar a little high. You ever felt like that? No, you're on the A team. He picks you. Every time he picks you. You were loved, dangerously loved by your heavenly father recklessly love. Listen, anytime that you're like, well, I don't know that God, apparently you don't know because he does love you that much as, as drastic as you can imagine. I mean, Jesus dying on the cross is as reckless as it gets. So how are we rooted in love? Paradigm one, God is a lover. He just says paradigm two, God is longing for lovers. See, he's not looking for workers. He's not looking for religion. He's looking for lovers. That's what he wants. Check this out. Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, it's funny, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. Oh, yeah, and the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. <laughs> like Jesus needed his affirmation. <laughs> well done, Jesus. Well done. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one other, but to love him with, and to love him with all your heart and all your understanding with all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you're starting to get it. 
I'm looking for lovers. We talk about the Great Commission, right? And the Great Commission is that. I'm sorry, not the Great Commission, the Great Command. We'll talk about the Great Commission next week. The Great Command. Why is it the Great Command? Because if you're going to be great, that, that's, that's the key to greatness. The Great Command, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you want to be great? Follow the Great Command. Right? It's the greatest thing you can do is by following the Great Command. And it will fuel the Great Commission, which we'll talk about next week. So how do you get, though, to this place? Because if we did a poll, you know, if we went around the room and we said, how many of you love God with all your heart? We'd all be like, yeah, me, me, me. But really, you don't. I don't. Right? Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you do love God with all your heart. It's not saying that intentionally you don't, you don't love God. But, but is your heart really obsessed with God as much as, as it can be? Right? And so it, it, are, are you loving God with all your mind? I mean, you see, is, are you really thinking about Jesus 100% of the time? No. So, but how do we get, like, I, I don't think that Jesus is saying this is the standard and you can't come in unless you meet it. I think he's saying is th- this, is, this is greatness. This is what greatness looks like. This is what I want from you. You okay? Listen, and I've heard people say, oh, just love, he loves God with all of his heart. Oh, I love God with all my little heart. Yeah, probably not. But yet you're growing, you're growing in your love, right? And your intention may be intact. But when God asks us, when he expresses his desire for us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what he's saying is he's saying, that's how I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my mind. You're the one that I think about and I obsess about. I love you with all my soul, my being. I love you with all my strength. You're made in my image to love me back. I love his song. I was made for love. I was made for loving you. I was made for love. I I could just sing it the rest of the day and tomorrow too. I was made for, this is what I was made for. I was made to love God back. See, God is ready for us to mirror his love. It's our destiny. We were created in his image. Even as we are fully loved. Even as you are fully loved to love God fully. It's the the great call of our life. God, I want to love you. I I love you, but I want to love you more. Are you with me? And how, how, how do we love God? Well, first of all, we've already talked about that. You had that paradigm that God is a lover looking for lovers. And so really what he wants out of me is he wants my love. And we're not just talking about your intention or your affections. We're going to break that down. Listen, it takes God to love God. You can't love God on your own. It takes God to love God. It takes supernatural power to love God back. This is why he prays when he prays, say, I may pray that you be powered by his spirit in your spirit, that you be able to get it. Why? Because you need the Holy Spirit to love God back. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So the great command, listen, needs to be viewed this way, the great response. Because we hear command and we're like, command. And I would say yes. But I would also say our heart towards it needs to be response. I'm responding. Why? Because he first loved. He loved me. 
Love me? Okay, I'll love you back. Yes, sign me up. Right? When Jesus talks about this heart, soul, mind, and strength, what is he talking about? He's talking about completeness, right? He's talking about our heart, our motivation, our intention, our soul, our affection, our mind, our attention, our strength, our demonstration. Right? So let's break that down. Number one. You ready? This is how you get into the love of God. How do you get into the love of God? You get into the love of God by loving God. <laughs> Can I help you? <laughs> this, is, this is how we do it. How many of y'all want to love God more? So Jesus gives us, he lays it out for us right here. Number one, you love God with your heart, with your intentions, right? No, nobody, we had this conversation, the verse of the day yesterday was something about, you know, only the Lord knows the desires of men's heart. We had this conversation with our kids last night. And many times we put so much value on intention, but intention that doesn't produce. <clears throat> So if you want your intention, and listen, you need both, and we're going to talk about that. If you want your intentions to be pure, then be intentional. <laughs> okay, I don't know we're playing words there. Listen, if you want your intentions to be pure, then you must be intentional. What does that mean? Let's throw it back to Children's Church. It means read your Bible Pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? How do you grow roots? How do you get rooted in the love of God? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Listen, my relationship with Leslie will not grow if I don't spend time with her. And God's given you this phenomenal resource called the word of God, what he thinks and what he feels that you can grow from every single day. You need to be rooted in the word of God. What does your relationship with God look like? What are you doing to grow your heart? Roots. We talk about roots. We're talking about what's done in secret. What is your secret place? When is it? Well, I just kind of do it. Where is it? How often is it? How often are you sitting in a, across from a quote-unquote table and conversing with God? Your heart will not transform unless you do that. You will not grow in love unless you're doing that. I love Leslie more than I did 14 years ago. Right before we got married. I love her more today than I did then. Why? Because I know her more. I've nur- we've nurtured the heart of our relationship. You have every, every day that you take some time to connect with this presence. Every day. Listen, you don't just come to church, man, worship is so good. No, no, no. You get with the Lord and you say, man, God, worship was so good today. Right? You're looking at your phone and, the, man, that was a good playlist today. Right? And when you get before the Lord, ask him. Lord, what do you feel for me right now? Show me, God, what do you feel about me right now? Do that when you're praying. Do that when you're seeking the Lord. What, God, what do you, what do you, what do you feel about me right now in this moment? I want to know what you feel. God, what do you think about me right now? And just ask him and then listen. 
with no screen in front of you. Just listen. God, what are you saying? What are you feeling? Don't talk about your relationship with God and then don't have one. What's your relationship with God look like? Oh, man, I go to church on. That's not a relationship. What's your relationship with Leslie? Oh, we get together on Tuesday nights. We sleep in different houses, but we spend on Tuesdays together. That's a great marriage. We have a great relationship. That's not a great relationship. It's an empty relationship. So don't talk about your relationship with God and don't, don't have one. Listen, I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just saying, you want to grow your heart? You want to love God back? This is what it looks like. Digging roots in the secret place. When you don't feel it, sometimes. <laughs> when it's like, God, are you there? Hello? Nothing. Crickets. Right? But you're doing it. You Be intentional. Number two, your soul. When we talk about our soul, what are we talking about? So we love God with all of our heart. We love God with all of our soul. What are we talking about? When we talk about our soul, we're talking about really our affections, right? We're talking about our mind, our will, our emotions. Um, the problem with the religious... It's not that they weren't doing good things because many of the things that they were doing were good. The problem is they had no soul. They had obedience and they had discipline, but they had no soul to what they were doing. They were doing all these things to prove love, but they weren't showing love. How many know that there's a great difference between proving love and showing love? Years ago, I was, uh, before Starbucks was the, the big thing that it is. I was uh, at a Starbucks study and it was a Wednesday morning and I walked up. It was the same people that worked there all the time. This has been probably, you know, I don't know, 12 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago. And they had just released a new drink called a salted caramel hot cocoa. And so I walk up and you know, I have the, the ads up there and I order my coffee and I read it and I was like, salted caramel hot cocoa. Mm. Got a little drool kind of dripped down. And I look at the lady that's standing there, and she goes, yeah. Like, and I was like, all right. And then they had the little sample. So she made me one. You know, I was there all the time. She made me a sample. And I was just like, oh, Father. I was like, experiencing the Lord's pleasure right there at Starbucks. And uh, so I studied. Uh, won't he do it? And so I was just, you know, soaking it in, having a little, some, growing some roots with the Lord. And, uh, and so I finished up my study and everything a couple hours later, and and uh, I thought, you know what? Leslie needs one of these. <laughs> not because, you know, I'm, why, why in the world would I not get one of these? And I was like, well, the house isn't that far. I'll just get one of those and take it back to her. So I was like, give me one of those. I'm going to take it to my wife. And so I took it in. And I was like, baby, salted caramel, hot cocoa. She's like, oh. You know, she drank it. And of course, you know, the rest is history. Why did I do that? Did I do that because there's a law somewhere, a list it says, if you taste something that's phenomenal and amazing, you experience the glory of God when you're drinking it, you must take it home and share it, buy one for your wife. No. Or if Leslie had a list that said, anytime you taste anything amazing, you better bring it to me. If all I did, listen, if all I did is fulfill that list out of an obligation, I have no soul. But because I said, I love my wife, I'm not just going to buy it to prove to her. I want her to, I want to prove to her. She, she'll know I love her because I'm buying this. That don't work, guys, just so you know. And so if I just said, you know what? Because I, I want her to know I love her. And I was thinking about her today. So I'm going to demonstrate a little soul 
and I'm going to buy her a salted caramel hot cocoa and transform her life. <laughs> it did. It really did. That's right. Sure has. Listen, God wants to bring you from this soulless religion into romance. See, when you have romance, you don't need religion to make you do the right thing. You do it from a delighted heart. Can I tell you, you do more than you would if you had a list. Religion demands a list. Romance, listen to this. Romance wants unadulterated, affectionate indulgence of righteous acts. That only comes from true heart connect. Let me read that again. Religion demands a list, but romance wants an unadulterated, affectionate indulgence of righteous acts that only come from a true heart connect. So I'm not doing all these things to go, see, see, I love you. See, I bought you that. See, I brought you those flowers. See, I watched the kids. See, so go have a girl thing. I See, I did that. I did all that. I love you. See, I'm proving it. Is a difference between proving love and showing love. And what God wants to do is he wants to give you the soul back through that everything that you do is a demonstrated of, of affection. It's coming from your soul. It's not just a deed that you have to do because it's the right thing. Dang it. God wants to give you the feel like it. He wants you to be exhilarated and ravished in your love for him. In your obedience for him, he wants you to be exhilarated. There's a story that I love so much about a guy by the name of Jacob. And he sees this woman named Leah. Do you know what I'm preaching? It's in Genesis chapter 29. And it says this, that Jacob saw Leah and he loved her. So Leah's husband... I'm sorry, Leah's father, in those days they had a dowry, so it, it sounds really bad, uh, but basically what the husband did is he had to produce an amount of money to the dad, to give to the dad, so the dad would know that this man could take care of his daughter, okay? So Laban produces the dowry, and he, says, and he asks Jacob, he says, Jacob, what would you do for my daughter? Or, what, or actually, Jacob went to him. He said, what do I have to do? What's, what's the dowry? He said, I want you to work for seven years. If you want my daughter, you got to work for seven years for her. Now, Jacob had, Laban had two daughters, okay? He had Leah. Scripture says that she had dull eyes. Her eyes didn't sparkle. In other words, she was like. And then there's Rachel, right? And so he's, he wants Rachel. And so he goes to work. For Rachel. And he works for seven years. And it says this right here. The scripture says this in Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him. Why? Because he had soul when he was working. Because he was thinking, man, I get to have Rachel. And then guess what happens? He wakes up the day after the wedding. And guess who's been back with him? It's Leah. He's like, Laban, you sucker. What are you doing? He says, listen, if you want Rachel, you got to work another seven years. He says, I'll do it. See, you'll do anything for love. 
And God wants you to have this heart that when you work for seven years or 14 years, that it feels like a day. What we call this is pleasurable obedience. That when you obey the Lord, you're doing it out of a ravished heart. You're doing it with soul. God wants to give you the feel like it. God wants lovers. It doesn't mean that it's not costly. It doesn't mean that it's not sacrificial. It is at times. But the whole time you're doing it, you go, I get Rachel. I get Rachel. First John 5, 3. This is the love for God to obey him. And I love God. I'm obeying him. You're showing love. You're proving love. I'm proving love. I love God. I keep the commandments. This is what the religious did. We love God. This is the love for God, to obey his commandments and his commands are not burdensome. And his commands are not burdensome. Other words, yeah, do what God requires. Do what God is asking, but don't do it like this religious yoke on your back going, I'm just doing it for God because I'm proving to God I love him. God wants to give you your soul back. There is, listen, there is no merit for that misery. Christianity is not God's labor camp. He knows, listen, lovers work better than laborers. There's certain things that I won't do for money. But I'll do anything for this little gal right here. There's another thing I won't do for her. Because we're lovers. And I love this woman. And there's no depth I won't go. There's no mountain I won't climb. There's no distance that I won't run. And I don't run very well, but I would. That's how God wants. He wants lovers. So we love God with our heart. We love God with our soul. Number three, we love God with our mind. What does that mean? And we talked a little bit about being mindful of Jesus last week. What we're saying is we want our attention to be on the Lord. We want our attention to be on the Lord. Is that mine? Oh, white Chevy. If you've got a white Chevy, please. Yeah. Chevrolet. All right. We love God with all of our mind, our attention. Listen, what we think, how we think, how often we think. This is how you love God with your mind, how you think. Did you know that you're called to love God intelligently? Well, I'm just not really intellectually wired. Well, you need to learn to be because you want to love God with your mind. I know. Everybody knows you're not an intellectually bothered. <laughs> right? What we think, how we think, how often we think in your thinking. Listen, also in your remembering. In your remembering. <laughs> what do you remember? Oh. Because if your memories are flooded with negative things, Come on, hurt, pain, distance. It's time to ask the Lord to help you repair some of those things. But we need to remember him. We need to remember his love for us. We need to remember, listen, his love for others. Because sometimes we get so isolated. We're like, God loves me. God loves me. He loves him too. Don't forget that. And guess what? You need to remember your love for God and your love for others. This is what we're called to. To be 
have our minds set on him. Number four, to love God with all of our strength. To love God with all of our heart, to love God with all of our soul, to love God with all of our mind, and to love God with all of our strength. The great response. When we talk about strength or might, we're talking about the demonstration, how it's played out, how it's walked out, how it's lived. What does your love for God look like? I'm talking about what it feels like. We've talked a lot about that. What does it look like? What is the action of your love? See, love reciprocated is love demonstrated. How do you reciprocate the love of God? You demonstrate it. God's love for you is not hindered by your obedience, but your love for him is. Get this. God's love for you is unchanged by your behavior. But your love for him is changed by your behavior. Well, I love God and I do wrong things. Well, then you're not loving God in that. Disobedience hardens our heart towards the Lord's affection. So it's kind of like God saying, I'm coming to love on you. And you're going, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want any of that today. That's what happens every day when we don't tune into the Lord's presence. Because he's always there. We go, nah, God, your love's not enough for me to encounter today. I'm busy. Don't you know I work like nine hours a day? Don't you know that I have a family to raise? These are all the responsibilities. He wants to be your obsession. Uh, John 15, last verse. Well, last verse of the message. Then I want to encourage you with something. If you obey my commands, John 15, 9, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's command and remain in his love. And then he says this. We're like, there it is. We got we to obey God to love God. Yes. But Jesus says this. I have told you this. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. See, God wants you to love him back because it gives you joy. Not because it gives him joy, but because it gives you joy. So God wants lovers because lovers are joyful people. They're fulfilled people. You want to be fulfilled? You want to get great fulfillment? The key is the great response, the great command. Love him back. See, love takes the sting out of obedience. Love takes the sting out of obedience because obedience is hard sometimes, isn't it? To do the right thing sometimes when we don't want to or it's not our nature. That's not the way I'm wired or so-and-so did something. Love takes the sting out of obedience. See, what happens is God brings us into this thing. When God gets us, when when he starts really transforming our heart, everything that we do, we go, man, God, I just love you. I just love you so, so I'm gonna feed the poor. I just love you so I'm gonna be kind to my neighbor. I just love you so I'm gonna do these things. Not because God's demanding me with a list. Come on. Or people were telling me this is what you gotta do to be a Christian. No, it's because, man, I love God and I just, I just wanna... I just want to love on him this way today. That's why I lift my hands in worship, just because I love God, not because it's the way I'm wired or worship leaders ask me to do. I just love God. Just going with it. Last scripture, and we're going to pray. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter 
in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. We just need to drink from that river of delight. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see.